I believe he's also running as a 2024 presidential candidate, and even though his office reached out to us to set up the interview for today, they abruptly canceled yesterday, and of course we don't know the reason why. But that's the way it goes in the wild world of podcasts, and I'm extremely excited to share with you guys the conversation we recorded today with our returning guest, Alex Zek. We had Alec on our show back in June of 2022, and we talked about COVID, censorship, and touched on Alec's origin story. So definitely listen to that episode, guys. It was a powerful conversation. However, Alec is back today to get into the nitty gritty and to sink our teeth into the nuance of the Israel-Palestine conflict. Now, this conversation is guaranteed to upset a few uni-party listeners But I believe the questions we discussed during this interview are the questions that we should be asking as a country about the U.S. involvement and positioning in the Israel-Palestine war. We discussed the historical context, the moral implications, the logical consistencies and inconsistencies of certain narratives, and of course, we talked about the solution. So here's our conversation with West Point graduate and former Army Captain Alex Zek. Alec, thanks for joining us today on such short notice. This is now your second time on the show. And in my opinion, there's really no better time to have you back on. Our guests for this week canceled yesterday, so we were kind of scrambling a little bit. But uh, you've been very active on social media, uh, very vocal about the recent conflict that has once again reignited between Israel and Palestine. And uh, before this guest canceled this week, uh, I was actually thinking about how valuable it would be for us and our audience to have a conversation about this topic with you and really try to break down some of the nuance surrounding it, seeing that's in such limited supply right now. Also, I'm sure we'll get into the response from the different political factions and how the narrative programming is proving effective once again. But I know personally, I've been getting a lot of nasty messages in my inbox lately, uh, some of which I've been sharing on social media. But I guess my first question is, and I know you've been experiencing this as well, why are so many people on the right who were just a couple years ago our allies fighting against the you know utterly false mainstream COVID narratives, but now they're parroting the same talking points from the media about you know Israel's right to defend itself? 
And I mean, you know, just a couple months ago, they were adamantly America first and frustrated with the billions being sent to Ukraine. And here we are, you know, a month later, and they're more than willing to send billions of dollars, send weapons and equipment to Israel now. So what do you think is really going on here? In short, this is what happens when you self-identify with a political party rather than self-identifying with truth. That's it. This, 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 this is what you're subject to. And, you know, I, being a uh, anti-status myself and being fundamentally pro-freedom, always knew that uh, as I was unraveling my own statist ideology, that there would come a time when it is crystal clear that while aligning with the right uh, when it come when it came to COVID and medical freedom and things like this, that that it was crystal clear that we are not actually in alignment at all. And I think that when you subscribe to any political party or self-identify with just the statist ideology itself, this is what you're subject to. And that's why it's so important that we dissolve the really disturbing religious belief that is statism. It is just another form of a religious belief that people subscribe to. And that's ultimately why stuff like this happens. And it's it, it has real world implications. Of course, I have no issue when people uh, identify with a per certain religion or political preference or uh, philosophy on health or life itself. No issues with that. But the moment your ideology leads to the um, cheering on or turning a blind eye to the slaughtering of thousands of innocent men, women, and children, uh, that's a, a really big issue. So I think that uh, that sort of adds the context to where we can go for the rest of this conversation. And I, I also want to preface this by saying that I'm a former army captain. I luckily never deployed, but I am a former army captain, field artillery officer, West Point graduate, attended the world's preeminent government indoctrination camp. So I understand the, the mindset that says, oh, we must support Israel because I previously subscribed to it. Now, it's taken years of me sorting through my own cognitive dissonance and seeing the, the flip side to this situation and understanding that this, uh, this pro-Israel ideology is leading to uh, severe destabilization in the Middle East and leading to the uh, for lack of a better term, genocide right now and really over the last 75 plus years. And of course, you could argue um, there, there's an argument to be made on the other side that I will wrestle with and we, we can discuss on whether what's happened over the last 75 years is, is labeled a genocide in the true sense of the word. But nonetheless, what's happening right now is a genocide. And I think it's important that we all do the work to uproot our conditioned beliefs and stop self-identifying with political groups or the government and learn to be true critical thinkers and be truly free. It, exactly. I, I love how you say that there's people that don't apply or that apply their political ideologies over tr the truth. And 
I would have said principles, but same thing, you know, principles are you just yep. completely challenge them just to find the truth. But uh, I think that there's something, I mean, I guess it is political ideologies, but do you think that, that, that there might be something inherently inside human beings that make us this way? I mean, this seems like, like libertarians and non-interventionists and those who call out the establishment on, you know, both sides of the, the establishment are rare. <laughs> We're like outliers, right? Yeah. The yeah. overwhelming majority of humanity and is like just jumps right into this tribalism and it doesn't matter political political party it seems like you the the tribe says something and they just change and we've seen this repeat over and over throughout history you know we watched you know after 9 11 we watched the the anti-war the anti-war left turn pro-war and we just can continue to watch this happen over and over and over again i'm wondering if there's like any hope for humanity like is this just are, are we and is this ingrained in our DNA and, you know, only a few people are able to see outside of it because we saw the same thing happen with Trump. We saw some hardcore anarchists that were very outspoken in this community, um, you know, completely lose their fucking minds and start shilling for Trump when he came into office. And it, it blew my mind, you know, like I was like, man, these people, they, they've been applying these principles. They've been applying the non-aggression principle and they, you know, for they've like been idols to me, not idols so much, but like I looked up to some of these people and then boom, they're shilling for Trump. And it's just like, and, and because that appealed to their tribe and, and I, you know, not, fortunately something hasn't appealed to my tribalism instinct so much that it's made me jump ship or anything like that. But I don't know that this is like a political thing so much as it is like an innate human characteristic that makes you apply a complete lack of logic or like disapply any logic whatsoever. Uh, and and make these brash decisions that you know dehumanize entire groups of people and and let you carry out atrocious things or in your name or by you know yourself carry them out yeah that's a great question and i would say that when we look at reality right now and reality as it has been for at least what i can recall in my lifetime right um, because I think we should question all of what we're told about history because, this, as the saying goes, the history is written by the victors, right? But um, from, from what I've been able to glean from reality right now, absolutely this is currently uh, the, the most common behavior amongst human beings. And I hesitate to say human nature because the, the issue with that is we have been uh, – really much of the world has been subject to major, major conditioning and propaganda coming from um, people who play on our identities, on our beliefs, on our unhealed trauma, on our uh, undealt with emotions to manipulate us, to, to do their bidding for them, which is to, to really be divided and conquered by them. Right? So, do I think that this is human nature? No. And so when we look at something like the, the ash experiments, the Milgram experiments and the Stanford prison experiments. So the ash experiments for those who are unfamiliar were a series of experiments that essentially showed or indicated that human beings will, uh, divert to groupthink at least once 70% of the time, despite being shown something that is clearly, at odds with what the group is saying. And then the Milgram experiments showed that human beings will conform to what authority says roughly two thirds or three fourths of the time, despite 
clearly committing an act that is harmful to another human being. Mm -hmm. And then the Stanford prison experiments showed that when human beings are given the uh, power of so-called authority, they will behave like violent animals. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the context that is necessary there, because I used to look at those three experiments and be like, oh, this is human nature, man. This is, this is just how it is, is that those experiments were done on people who were likely overwhelmingly brought up in the U.S. or a Western public school system. And what is the U.S. or Western public school system based on? The Prussian model of education, which was overtly intended to create uh, men and women who would be obedient to the government and obedient to the state and obedient to authority. That's not even a conspiracy. It's really easy to find information on the Prussian education system and how the Western education system is based on that. So to say that those are representative of human nature, I think is, is an assumption and it's a flaw. I think it's representative of how humanity is right now, but that's not to say that this is how humanity is by default. Now, with that, that co there comes a lot of unraveling of this conditioning and propaganda and learning to trust your own intuition, learning to deal with your undealt with emotions, all of these things. And that requires a lot of self-ownership and self-responsibility. And I think that's the problem when it comes to these ideologies. I think it is in human nature to want to be amongst a herd of other human beings where you feel secure, you feel accepted, you feel like you're a part of a group, a community. But when the the powers that shouldn't be use those uh, I, uh, ideologies and these groups to manipulate us into certain thought patterns. That's where it becomes problematic, and there there is a lot less truly freedom oriented people than we thought. But as long as we're doing things like you two are doing on this show, like I'm doing on my show, and we have voices like us who are are essentially poking holes in the accepted narrative, even amongst the so-called freedom movement to help lead people to just think for themselves genuinely, right? Free thought, like your show is called. A true free thought is, is helping to unravel that for a lot of people. So I don't think it's in human nature, but it is humanity as it presents right now. Well said. And I'm glad. I, I think we probably agree on that. I think there's probably an argument to be made that, uh, you know, if human nature was prone to violence, that uh, humanity would have been wiped out long ago because of this incessant violence. And uh, we've never survived this long. So I, I think uh, while Matt's question is certainly uh, worthy of, of considering it, uh, I would have to agree with you on that, Alec. And um, yeah, as far as what you're saying, just to clarify, I didn't say prone to violence. I said prone to tribalism, which makes people, you know, disregard their uh, what's right in front of them, reality, and and instead, you know, act on these instincts that aren't reality. So, it's a question worth asking because sure. that's what, again what we see present right now. Like that's that's what is happening, right? Mm -hmm. But I just don't think it is human nature necessarily. It's human conditioned behavior. Sure. And we have to keep keep in mind that the, the ruling class, uh, many of these people are master chess players, right? They, they understand psychology. They know how to manipulate the psyche. So it shouldn't be uh, too far out of the realm of possibility to entertain the idea that there are certainly psyops going on, that there's, you know, fundamental propaganda that's being coordinated, highly coordinated, 
and, and rolled out. And this is something that we've you know been covering for 10 years, a whole decade now at the Free Thought Project. But I guess with that said, I had a question here about maybe morality in, in general, uh, as far as if, has there been a shift or not? Because it feels like uh, many on the right and within the establishment have begun to kind of turn a blind eye to this massive death toll that's been racking up in Gaza. Uh, the international media hasn't really expressed much condemnation. The, the international uh, community seems to be kind of dragging their feet uh, to say a word to address it. Of course, the, the U.S. media clearly has the, you know, Israel has a right to defend itself slant. But 10,000 civilians have now been killed in Gaza. 10 fucking thousand. You know, I mean, that's a, a huge contrast to the 1,300 Israelis that were killed by Hamas. And I'm not necessarily saying an eye for an eye here, but it does feel a lot like the media, uh, governments, and international organizations are turning a blind eye here because there's this mentality that Israel is justified in taking off the kids' gloves and retaliating against Hamas. And it's just particularly bothersome to me because if they can justify and ignore 10,000 people killed by these illegal war crimes, you know, what will they be able to justify and ignore in the future? I mean, pretty much anything, right? So if you remember back in 2007, when Bradley Manning leaked that copy of the collateral murder video to WikiLeaks, um, there were several several people that were killed by U.S. forces in that video, uh, a few of them being Reuters journalists. But there was a massive outrage after that hit the Internet. So what do you think? Is it possible that society has been so acclimated to this endless war that we aren't even outraged to 10,000 civilians being killed by you know the war crimes being committed with our tax dollars? Yeah, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. And I think so many people are are numb because because of the information age that we're in that has provided us the benefit to really know a lot that's going on. It's also provided, unfortunately, the opportunity for us to be heavily manipulated. And when you're constantly bombarded with negative imagery, I think to some degree, you either become emotionally uh, so distraught over it that you then begin to perpetuate more of the same, which as we see, you know, Jewish people all over the world right now are unfortunately being targeted because of what the Israeli government is doing. And of course, the Israeli government is claiming to represent Jewish people in that act. But all that to say that when when we're bombarded with these negative images, it's either that that happens or we become totally desensitized yeah. to things. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when you're constantly fed something over and over and over again through repetitive imagery, repetitive phrases, repetitive ideologies and instilled belief systems, and that is the instilled belief system overwhelmingly in the West and especially in the United States, that we support Israel, that Israel is the U.S.'s ally. And I mean, that is true because the U.S. was the first uh, nation to officially recognize Israel after the U.N. Uh, installed Israel as a state in 1948. And that narrative is sort of entrenched into our, our collective ideology. And then that coupled with the dehumanization of Muslim people around the world um, you know, before 9-11, but especially so after 9-11, where the general freedom-oriented American sentiments are that 
uh, Islam is a radical religion and it, Muslim people want to overthrow the world. I mean, I remember this. This is no bullshit, a true story. So when I was at West Point, I was a sophomore. We call it yearling at West Point. That, that's a story for another time. We have a like, weird system where it's not freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. It's plebe, yearling, <laughs> cow, firsty. Uh, don't ask, but that's, that's, that's what it is. Anyway, when I was a sophomore at West Point, um, Mike Pompeo was still a senator of the state of Kansas at that time. And I'm from Kansas. So I had the opportunity to have dinner with him. And someone on his staff handed me a a, a DVD to watch that was talking about the, the Muslim Brotherhood and how the Muslim Brotherhood is secretly overtaking the United States. And of course, that was an extreme uh, ideology, an extreme example, but that is what what the the establishment, especially on the right, is trying to instill in people is that there is a, 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 a Muslims are always trying to subvert and take over the U.S. government. And could that be true to some degree that there are evil people posing as Muslims or claiming to be Muslim who are doing that? Absolutely. But that extreme very uh, uncharacteristic example is widespread and pervasive amongst conservative thought mm -hmm. patterns to where when when Muslim people are being killed, and actually it's not all just Muslim people, there are Christians in Gaza as well, when they're being killed, just Arab people who we uh, consider to typically be Muslim uh, being killed, we, we have already collectively dehumanized them enough to where we turn a blind eye to it. We look at them as less than, we look at them as uneducated, we look at them as, as essentially uh, an, an inferior people who are just radicalized. And that's kind of what I see popping up on social media when you question how it is morally justified in Israel's, quote, so-called right to defend itself, uh, that they are slaughtering thousands of innocent men, women, and children. People will say, oh, well, these are radicalized people who accept what Hamas is doing. And that can't possibly be true either. I'm sure there are some Palestinians who accept what Hamas is doing. And it's also because there's context that's necessary there that they've been under apartheid for 75 plus years. So when you are living the way that you're living and uh, and you're constantly being poked, essentially, and you're in a cage, when you when you're in that cage, those that are poking you, you're going to hate them to some degree. But that is not necessarily true that they all support Hamas. And the reality is, the last election, and I question whether it was an actual election that occurred in Palestine or in Gaza, rather, was in 2006. And over half of the population of Palestine was too young to even be alive during that last, quote, election. And the other context that's necessary there is who was funding Hamas, mm -hmm. who helped establish Hamas. So the blame there is also on the Israeli government because this is no conspiracy. They were funding and they helped create Hamas in the 1980s to oppose the PLO and Yasser Arafat. That's not a conspiracy. That is true. And it's really easy to find information on that. But all that to say, people turn a blind eye to this because we look at them at, just in a broad general sense as all 2 million people in Palestine overwhelmingly share the sentiments of Hamas 
and support what Hamas is doing. <laughs> Therefore, it's justified that we kill them. And then some people will say, well, this is just what happens in war. And then other people will say, well, we should question this idea that 10,000 people in Palestine have actually died because we know Hamas uses propaganda. I don't dispute that they use propaganda, but the reality is the footage coming out of Palestine is pretty objective. And then we can lend credence to the idea that 10,000 civilians are being killed because here are some quotes from Israeli government officials. This is from Daniel Hagari, Israeli army spokesman. We are dropping hundreds of tons of bombs on Gaza. The focus is on destruction, not accuracy. Here's one from Benjamin Netanyahu. We will turn Gaza into an island of ruins. Here's one from Ariel Kalner, Israeli politician. New, now there is only one goal, Nakba, expulsion of the Palestinians, a Nakba in Gaza that will dwarf the Nakba of 1948. This one from Yoav Gallant, defense minister of Israel. There will be no electricity, no food, no fuel. Everything is closed. We are fighting animal people and we are acting accordingly. And I could go on and on. This one is extremely disturbing. This is from a veteran of the Israeli army in an address to Israel reservists. Wipe out their families, their mothers, and their children. These animals must not be allowed to live any longer. So when we're supposed to question whether this is actually happening to Palestine, the Israeli government is admitting this is happening to Palestine. And what makes this even more nefarious is that overwhelmingly, the left-leaning media and the right-leaning media left-leaning politicians and right-leaning politicians are in lockstep on this. Are there some that are diverting from that? Yes. Are there some that are diverting from that who I wholly disagreed with when it came to COVID that are, uh, you know, closet or overtly Marxist and communist? Absolutely. But irrespective of who is and is not supporting this, it is objectively genocide. It is objectively immoral. It is objectively wrong to, quote, res uh, respond in self-defense by committing an act far more atrocious than what the initial act was that has the potential to escalate into something that is very, very bad for all people everywhere. And, you know, I've had people tell me that what I'm saying on social media is anti-Semitic and that I'm harming Jewish people. I've already made it clear, I don't know how many times, that I have no qualms, no beef with Jewish people. Several of my close friends are Jewish. My mentor is Jewish, eth ethnically Jewish. And he agrees with what I'm saying. And this idea that I'm harming the Jewish people by drawing attention to the problems with the Israeli government is absurd. And that's exactly what the Israeli government wants. They want to use the trauma of the Holocaust. They want to use the, the anti-Semitic uh, label to be able to avoid any real uh, accountability for their actions. And the reality is what is harming the Jewish people is the actions of the Israeli government while claiming to represent the Jewish people. That is what is harming the Jewish people. So if I were a Jew right now, if it, if it were me, I would make it very clear that I do not agree with what the Israeli government is doing, that I wholly oppose what the Israeli government is doing. And then people will say that, oh, does that mean you support Hamas? No, both can be true, that you oppose what the, the wicked, disgusting acts that Hamas committed on October 7th, while also opposing what the Israeli government is doing in response to what Hamas did. And then even deeper than that, though, you have to question 
the actions of October 7th himself. Right. Like the idea that the most highly sophisticated border defense system and and they also have the Iron Dome, the most sophisticated air defense artillery system in the world. And then they also have the world's most sophisticated intelligence agency, Mossad. The idea that they were overrun by dudes on motorized paragliders and trucks and bulldozers and didn't respond for six hours, that's something worth questioning, especially because Netanyahu was quoted as early as 2019 as saying the best way to ensure that no Palestinian state is established is to continue funding Hamas. And then he also said uh, in, in an article sometime in between 2019 and 2021 that you know they know that Qatar is funding Hamas at this point, right? Like, I don't think there's any overt direct ties to the Israeli government funding Hamas, but you know, you, you never really know with these money trails. But the point is that it, it's out in the open that Qatar was funding Hamas, right? And the Israeli government was, or at least Netanyahu was in support of Qatar uh, continuing to fund Hamas. And of course it was under the guise of, well, Hamas is doing humanitarian things, but nonetheless, like this is a monster that the Israeli government helped to create. And what happened on October 7th, vile and disgusting, but the reality is it should be questioned how that was even possible that it could have occurred and the Israeli government did not mount an effective response for nearly six hours. It makes zero sense, especially because the Yom Kippur holiday was just a few days before that. I think right. maybe the day before. Yeah. And yeah. so they should have been on high alert to begin with. It makes zero sense. They were so, also warned by Egypt. And they were also Egyptian warned government. by Egypt. Yeah. <clears throat> and, then I've, and I've heard people say, well, Iran uh, dished out a cyber attack. Okay, even if they did, I was in the army, dude. <laughs> like, we have contingency plan upon contingency plan upon contingency plan. There is no chance that Iran initiated a cyber attack so strong without any contingency plans in place, especially because they were probably already on high alert as it is, that that this was allowed to happen. There's just no way. There's no chance in hell. And that's, yeah, I, I kind of rambled there, but those are my thoughts. No, there's me. a lot of good stuff there. Matt, did you have a follow-up? Yeah, that? that I mean, it kind of, it's ironic that that's, very reminiscent with the Reichstag fire in 1933, you know, in Germany. And it's you were reading those quotes earlier by some of those prominent Israelis, man. And and what they were saying is akin to Nazis, you know, what they said about Jews, you know, you know, 70 year, or 80 years ago. And I, I mean, it, and that goes back to this tribalism thing right here. We are. We had the Jews who went through this. They were put in concentration camps. They were treated as animals and as inhuman. And now, you know, fast forward 85, 90 years later, and here we have the Jews acting like the very people who drove them to Israel, actually, right? The Jews are in Israel. Let's let's go over that real quick. quick. (laughs) Yeah. The, The Nazi party was founded on Aryan supremacy. The state of Israel was founded on Jewish supremacy. Correct. The Nazi party expelled millions from their homes. The state of Israel also expelled many, many people. I mean, we could argue about the numbers, but at the very least, 700,000 people from their homes. The Nazi party put racial groups in ghettos and camps, Auschwitz, etc. Uh-huh. The Israeli government also put people in effectively what are ghettos, Gaza. The Nazi party used dehumanizing language for undesirables. The Israeli government is currently doing the exact same thing. 
And this is this is coming from a, a screenshot that I can send you that I that someone sent me that I'll send uh, to you guys if you want to post it or whatever. But um, the the Nazi Party in, enforced collective punishments. The Israeli government is also currently enforcing collective punishment. And it's this is same. public information and it admitted by Israeli government, right? Yes. I, I posted a, a, a screen cap of a, a CBS article this morning um, when WikiLeaks released some wires and the uh, between Israel and, and U.S. diplomats. And the Israel admitted that it intentionally kept the Gazan economy functioning at the lowest possible level, consistent with avoiding a humanitarian crisis to just barely avoid pushing them over the edge. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is the exact same behavior as these poor people escaped decades ago, and now they're the ones enacting it. And that was what I was saying, like, this plays out through history like a broken record, and and they certainly have different schooling (laughs) in that region. So, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) but it's all the religion of statism, really, when it comes down to it. I mean, most of this has been fueled by government and statism. Oh, certainly, certainly, I agree. But like, you can't; those tyrants at the top can't aren't shit without the enforcers at the bottom. And sure, and you have to convince those enforcers to do this horrible fucking shit. Well, we've kind of hit this strange cultural moment where it's like you're almost expected to take a side in almost all political or social debates, you know. And you can't just have like this moral position, which is odd. Like you have to claim a team, and if you don't. Well, you just support, you know, fill in the blank, <laughs> whatever's being vilified in that moment. Uh, I made a, a tweet earlier this week. I think that you shared, Alec, uh, on Instagram, pointing out that this is a, a well-known propaganda and division tactic. You know, I mean, it was the same tactic utilized by Bush uh, the months after 9-11. You know, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. I mean, he said those exact words, you know. Um, so, you know, we've both been receiving this hate mail and condemnation for just saying that Israel shouldn't be killing innocent civilians, which to any rational mind should be a perfectly acceptable position. Um, but it feels like the, the information wars have escalated so much that this bloodlust for civilians is also acceptable now. And uh, you can't just simply condemn the initiation of violence. You know, you have to you have to condemn Hamas, too. Um, but. With this, this kind of places the moral high ground on the state of Israel. I don't know if you've been catching those vibes as well and kind of like uh, positions it as this victim. They, I think the people who don't know what's going on don't know the historical context surrounding the region. And of course, this is kind of where I guess the bias and truth gets messy. Um, but, you know, according to various international organizations, Israel is the occupier, the besieger in this scenario. You know, they're also heavily funded. They have the sophisticated technology you were just talking about, uh, the weaponry, you know, and Palestine mm-hmm. really has no functional, uh, well, cutting edge military equipment anyway. You know, I mean, it, it's funded in the shadows by Iran um, and obviously other countries that are invested in Israel's demise. And of course, you know, I'm right there with you. The initial attack on the music festival and the surrounding areas of Israel by Hamas was horrific. And I will never condone the initiation of violence on innocent people. But do you feel like there was some type of coordinated psyop or propaganda campaign to position Israel as this victim here? And and somehow it's melded into this overarching belief that Israel is and always has been the the victim in this situation? One hundred percent. Yes. Absolutely. And I can speak directly to what I was taught at West Point. Um, this, this is a very summarized version of it. 
but that the state of Israel was justified and necessary because we required a home for the Jewish people. Palestine was mostly an empty land of a few different uh, nomadic tribal people that just needed to be moved elsewhere because we needed to make way for the state of Israel. It was mostly untouched land. And since then, a lot of radical Islamist groups have tried to take over Israel to take back some of the land that was given as the state of Israel. And that is such a bullshit narrative. Like that's, that, there's no other way to put it. It's total horseshit. Um, and that was a lot of cognitive dissonance I had to unravel and learning the true history of what happened with the state of Israel. And of course, what I said was a very summarized version. Was there, was there a little- I was taught the same thing, man. Crazy. Yeah. I was actually yeah, essentially in Israel. Right. That, that's what yeah. we're taught. That's, that's exactly what we're taught. And it's patently false. Like it, it is an outright lie, actually. If we look at Palestine pre-1920 even, they had a bustling uh, civilization that that had theaters, that had well-educated people, that had school systems. Um, and it was, of course, under the, the British mandate at that time. But nonetheless, it wasn't just like an empty land of people. There were people who were uh, very modernized, if you will, for that time. Um, they had they had a robust railway system. It's this idea that it was just like a mostly uninhabited land that with nomadic people. No, that's not true. It's it's completely false. And let's let's use an analogy, right? Let's say I'm living in my home peacefully, right? And I, I just had a conversation with one of my friends, Joel Rafidi, whose dad was he fleed Palestine in 1971, and he discusses how both. Uh, Christians, Muslims, and Jews were living peacefully in that land amongst each other with no issues. And actually many Jewish Palestinians, um, or I guess you could just say Jewish Arabs, uh, opposed what the Israeli government was doing and still obviously currently oppose what the Israeli government is doing. But um, imagine I'm living peacefully in my home, right? And then some arbitrary authority figure says, no, you have no right to this home anymore. We're going to move you out of this home. And these people are now going to take over your home. Irrespective of whether those people were discriminated against previously, there is no moral right for them to then take my home away from me. And when we say take my home away from me, let's talk about how they were literally like, let's pretend that I was violently forced out of my home. And in many cases, there are accounts from uh, IDF soldiers, because IDF was established essentially right at that time, talking about during the Nakba, they were executing uh, Arabs on site, executing Palestinian people on site and violently forcing them out of their homes. Now, if I try to fight for my home back, does that make me the aggressor and the people who are wrongfully in my home the victim? Right. Depends Absolutely on what political uh, ideology you subscribe to. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's the point here. And, and, and again, all of this to say that does not mean that if you were born in Israel or if you've immigrated to Israel or if your family was born in Israel, that they don't have a right to exist. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the artificially drawn lines by uh, so-called authority figures saying that, oh, only these people have a right to this land and everyone else needs to be forced off of it. That's what I'm talking about. Should you like, should I feel bad that I was born on the land known as the United States where there was a genocide against Native Americans? No, I have no control that I was born here, right? right. But I can still acknowledge that the Native American people have a right to live here just as much as I do. And what the US government did to Native American people was 
unbelievably fucked up. I can say that. And, and I don't identify with the U.S. government. Now, the difference, you know, because people always say, well, do you, are you going to give Native Americans your land back? I'm like, I was born here. I have no control over that. But we have in this country, there is Native American reservations. But off of those reservations, Native Americans can live and coexist peacefully with us because we aren't saying you have no right to this land. Only I do. You're less than human. I'm superior. And that's what's happening with the Israeli government. That's the sentiments that the Israeli government pushes forth. And again, we can take quotes directly from Israeli officials to, to lend credence to this. And so this idea that Israel is the victim when they are well, much more well-funded, like it's not even close, much more well-armed, again, not even close, when they are, the Israeli government is who stole the land from the people who are in that land before, it's not even a debate. It's not even close. And this isn't even a war. There's no war. Palestinian people have no means to defend themselves against F-15s or F-16s and, and attack helicopters and Hellfire missiles and, and uh, tanks. Like this is, this is not even a war. And the fact that people think that Israel is the victim here is absolutely absurd considering what's happened to Palestinian people over the last 75 years. The Nakba was not a singular event. The Nakba started in 1948 and has since continued until now. What's happened to Palestinian people is disgusting over the last 75 plus years. And there's plenty of, of Israeli Jews who say the same thing. Right. I think that's why we see this narrative from the neoconservative class, which consists of Democrats as well, you know, mm -hmm. uh, where they say that this is like a war of ideologies. This is a religious holy war and it's all of Islam. It's not just Palestinians. Right. I mean, they have some crazies out there that are just, you know, claiming that it's that all Palestinians are Hamas and terrorists and all that. But we see Fox News and the the the, the neoconservative class that is now wholly on board with starting World War three or fucking just continuing world war three, a new Iraq or a new Afghanistan. Uh, we see them pushing this as a holy war. Like this is, this is a war of ideologies, a war of, of, of civilizations that then, because it doesn't stand up to the, any kind of fucking litmus test of reality, dude. It's like you just said, Israel is this massive state with all this funding. Palestinians can fucking barely get water out of the, you know, out of their buildings. Sure. And, I mean, this is the, the you can see the narrative. That's why that narrative that, you know, Israel and is versus Palestine doesn't work. So they have to draw in Iran. They have to draw in the rest of all these different countries and all these different people, because that's the only way that this argument can work. And that is dangerous because then when you put targets on other people in other countries and, you know, then they tend to see that as a threat and then act on that threat. And it's exactly what happened with 9-11, you know? It's, well, people it's, people are pointed to the most extreme version of any religious uh, religious group or ideology to sort of create the, the idea or the belief that that is what the overwhelming majority of people of that religion or ideology subscribe to when it simply could not be further from the truth because there's 1.9 billion Muslim people in the world. If... Is if Islam was truly a radical religion to its core, um, then the world would already be totally yeah. fucked by now. Chaos, and, yes. And, and, and of course, people will point to very specific verses in the Quran to lend credence to this idea that 
that Islam is a radical religion, but I can do the same with Christianity. And in fact, I can do the same with Judaism. I can point to the Talmud and here's a verse from the Talmud. But wherever there is liability for capital punishment, this Tana teaches it. As it is taught in the first clause with regards to bloodshed, if a Gentile is mur if, if, if a Gentile murders another Gentile or a Gentile murders a Jew, he is liable. If a Jew murders a Gentile, he is exempt. That's from the Talmud. That's a direct quote. And now if we're going to play that game of trying to find the most extreme uh, verses and extreme um, religious fanatics uh, to sort of try to create the illusion that everyone subscribes to that, it's absurd because that's why I see a lot of people that are, you know, black pilled truth seekers are now like, oh, all the Jews are in on it. No, it's not true. Are there evil people that are that are uh, taking what the Torah says and what the Talmud says out of context or like subscribing to it in a very literal way and or or people who are just claiming to be Jewish while being just very evil people hiding behind the trauma of the Holocaust. That's what's happening with these people in and it, we're, we're all pointing fingers to the most extreme examples of of these religions to lend credence to the idea that we should overthrow and eradicate that religious group. And it doesn't do us any service when the overwhelming majority of people who practice any of these religions are kind, loving people. Right. That goes for Judaism, that goes for Islam, that goes for Christianity. And that's just the truth when you look at reality. And unfortunately, right now with Zionism, there are many people who are hiding behind the veil of Judaism in the veil of Israel. And it's all sort of one mashed up thing where, where it's conflated, like Judaism is conflated with Jew ethnically, what is conflated with the state of Israel. And when people point to the state of Israel and say what the state of Israel is doing is wrong, people then can then claim antisemitism or point to the fact that there are an, a, a disproportionate amount of US congressmen and senators who have dual citizenship with Israel People will claim, oh, you're anti-Semitic or you hate all Jews. I'm like, no, I'm just pointing out what is objectively true. And that should be questioned because that means there is some bias in our political system towards the state of Israel. Like, and it's crazy because what we have happening now, and this is a quote from Trump the other day. And it like, I want, I want to, I want you to consider that me, Matt, Jason, and several others who are independent thinkers have, I can only speak for myself, but I'd imagine the same applies to you guys. I've been called a Hamas sympathizer, a oh, terrorist yeah. sympathizer, uh -huh. anti-Semitic, and nothing could be further from the truth. I've condemned the actions of Hamas over and over and over again. I've said targeting the kind, loving, innocent Jewish people around the world is wrong, and it's only going to lead to more radicalization. I've said that oh, the overwhelming majority of Jewish people and Muslim people and Christians are kind, loving people. But here's what Trump said. We'll terminate the visas of all Hamas sympathizers. We'll get them off of our college campuses, out of our cities, and the hell out of our country. So I agree. Hamas is a dangerous terrorist organization, and we should condemn their actions. But when I am being called a Hamas sympathizer by conservatives, and uh, an interview that I was supposed to do with Efrat Finningson, who's a former Israeli IDF, um, an, an independent journalist in Israel, who is now not willing to do the interview with me because she's scared of what the Israeli government is doing with their new policy that essentially uh, anyone who is spreading an, what could be called Hamas propaganda or anti-Israeli propaganda is jailed. 
when these are all tied in together, would Trump then consider me a Hamas sympathizer because I oppose the state of Israel? That's a very, very slippery slope. And I know, understand a slippery slope fallacy, but this is a slippery slope that is very likely to become true. And that's scary. And that's what the conservative ideology is being pulled into right now. It already is coming true. We're seeing people in the United States lose their jobs left and right for making um, pro-Palestinian statements, not pro-Hamas statements, pro-Palestinian. Harvard students. And because of this, what's that? Harvard students, too. Being yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like Glenn, uh, Glenn Greenwald posted a big long list of of newspaper articles of where these, you know, people in high positions and in corporate America and, and universities all over are just are being nixed left and right for their pro-Palestinian views, which is free speech. Gosh, there's something so familiar about all this. I just can't quite remember what was there like some type of uh, segregation for COVID or something? I don't know. It seems like we're inching <laughs> towards that. But Alec, you touched on something in your previous statement that I think needs to be expanded upon. And I was hoping, you know, a part of our conversation today isn't just to appease each other's position on this topic. Like I, I really wanted to participate in some thought exercises. And, you know, with that said, there seems to be an embedded sense of disobedience and rebellion in the U.S. Uh, I, I, if I had to guess, it was probably inherited from generations long ago because there's not much of it left anymore, but it still maintains a presence. And, you know, of course, Americans, we as Americans, we have access to these many of these tools and products and, of course, like firearms that allow us this sense of individualism. Um, of course, you know, those rights and liberties are decreasing by the year. Uh, however, it's that mentality that is really important in this context, because as Americans, we often romanticize about how we would respond if the U.S. mainland was invaded or somehow the U.S. people had to defend ourselves from a foreign occupation. And if I had to estimate, I would say nine out of 10 people envision themselves as like this Rambo-esque figure who would probably like fight back and unshackle our chains and give hell to our captors. But I don't think a lot of people realize that this is the exact scenario that the Palestinian people have found themselves in. And, you know, we've already touched on this a little bit, but, you know, for context, Palestine is often referred to as an open air prison. Uh, it's, it's roughly 2,320 square miles. Uh, there's no entering, no escaping this area. Checkpoints exist at all the border entries, very little electricity, water scarce. I mean, every, the, the conditions are just grim, right? Everything coming in and out is, is scrutinized and it's expected. I mean, there's no capitalist luxuries that we're all familiar with. So, I mean, understanding that situation and those conditions, I ask our audience, you know, what would you do in that situation? You know, I, I've heard that the leaders of Palestine have tried to negotiate with peace treaties and they've, they've even tried like military, military ops on like military bases. They've largely all been ineffective. Uh, and, and providing any type of semblance of stability for the people. So, like, what would you do? You know, when is it morally justified to attack the innocent, especially if you know it would cause some type of international uproar leading to more attention for your situation? I mean, would you militarize? Would you become a, quote, extremist? So I think, you know, obviously, again, I'm not for the initiation of violence on peaceful people, innocent civilians, but where is that line in the sand? I mean, dude, that is the question of all questions, because at what point do you consider something self-defense when the initial act, you could say, began in 1948 and has continued on with 
many more atrocious acts like the six day war that occurred in the 1960s. Um, but this is where it gets sticky, man. And that's where I really think we should look to, to sympathize with and put ourselves in the shoes of the, the people who live in Palestine and have endured what they've endured. But while also recognizing that the people who were born in Israel that, you know, didn't choose, maybe you can get a soul level they did, but uh, didn't choose to be born in Israel aren't like the, the people themselves are not inflicting harm upon the Palestinian people. It's the state of Israel, just as what's what the Palestinians are doing. Hamas overwhelmingly does not represent the Palestinian people. With that being said, can you blame some of the people in Palestine for doing what they're doing, considering how they've been treated over the last 75 plus years? Can you blame that? Right, right. I can't. Like what the like what the hell would you do in that situation? And I'm not saying that you should do what Hamas did. Absolutely not. Far from it. No chance. But we have examples of Palestinian kids literally just walking up to the border holding a flag, a Palestinian flag, and just getting shot. There are countless examples of that. Like, what the what the fuck would you do? What would you do? Right. You know what I mean? Like, and that's what. And I don't know what the correct answer is in that, but I know that the incorrect answer very clearly is to then, based on the actions of Hamas, which do not reflect the overwhelming majority of Palestinians who did not commit any of those acts, who have already lived under an apartheid regime for 75 plus years, who you know, have endured some of the worst situations that a human being can endure, the answer is not to then indiscriminately bomb them. If you want to breed more radicalization do that right and that's what the israeli government is doing right now right and it's not going to end well if we continue down this path so at this point irrespective of historical context but especially because of historical context but even again setting that aside the only solution is to to look at what is happening right now as the the boiling point to then say we can't do this shit anymore man we cannot do this shit anymore we're going to kill all of us and there cannot be a two-state solution i don't know how it shakes out it's going to require a lot of radical self-ownership and self-responsibility on the part of every man woman and child in that region and elsewhere to say that i will no longer perpetuate any more of this there is no collective solution to what's going on. It's an individual solution. It requires a collective of individuals to say, I will not perpetuate any more of the same, irrespective of what happened to me. I'm not seeking vengeance because that's only going to make things worse. I'm not going to uh, fall into the trap, the, the belief of that the controllers of this realm want us to fall into and looking at the most extreme examples of any other ideology or religion or political preference and then dehumanizing anyone who subscribes to it. I'm not gonna play those games anymore. And taking radical ownership for our own thoughts, our own beliefs, our own feelings, and our own actions, and saying, I'm not gonna perpetuate any more of the same. That's the only thing we can do at this point because otherwise this is not gonna end well for all of us. Now, Alec, we usually save uh, the, the white pill 
uh, question for the very end, but I think you just went ahead and answered it there and provided a, a solution or at least uh, you, what you envision as being the best possible solution. And I'm right there with you. I don't I don't know what the possible solution could be. Uh, I think asking it's these- an individual thing, man. Sure. It has to be sure. No, I agree completely. And I think asking these questions, that's how we get a little bit closer, you know, to uh, having this type of conversation with nuance, you know, looking at all the different possibilities, looking at all the different factors, looking at the historical context, you know, and unfortunately, it doesn't feel like there's enough people doing that right now. Um, but I did have one last question here, just uh, on, it's kind of a, a flip side to the question I just asked you, which is, I know a few days ago, you shared a video uh, from Sky News of an interview with an ex-IDF soldier who said, straight up, that Hamas just can't be defeated and that a different approach is needed. And I think we've both touched on this in our recent posts. Um, considering that Hamas has miles of underground tunnels, uh, has political and social support by surrounding countries, and is constantly refreshed with family members who have lost loved ones um, who now dedicate themselves to be martyrs for the cause. I mean, can Hamas really realistically be taken out of power? And you know, if, if so, how? I think that's another question that needs to be asked because you know, Ron Paul always reminds us that no army can stop an idea whose time has come. 100%. And if this is an ideological war, which it is, obviously there's religious implications and, and you know, there's a territorial war here, but at its core, it seems like it is an ideological war. Can Israel simply carpet bomb thousands of civilians and expect that there won't be what the CIA calls blowback? You know, I mean, do they really believe that just killing innocent civilians won't spawn new recruits hell bent on vengeance. So I guess when we look at it through that lens, you know, it seems nearly impossible uh, that anything could really, you know, solve this through violence. If anything, it's just going to create more violence, terrorism and jihad. So, I mean, is Israel short sighted in this quest? And is there more to this equation maybe that I'm missing? That's that's the question of the day, my man. And that's where, again, it would behoove of us to zoom out us, meaning anyone in the so-called freedom, really the whole world, but I, I'm speaking directly to the freedom movement, especially the conservatives who have realized there is a greater agenda at play here that the overwhelming majority of seemingly uh, individual governments are in on, even those governments that seem to oppose each other. And the media is in on it. The uh, various industries are in on it, the multinational corporations, the banks, the military industrial complex, the pharmaceutical industrial complex. There's a greater agenda at play here. So in, in support of that agenda, wouldn't it make sense to, for Israel to do something so fucking outlandish in their response that it brings in other countries? Right. to then oppose them. And then it leads to an all out multi-front war where a bunch of people are displaced. And then with the already established uh, pseudo threat, again, I, I, I don't discount that there are some radicalized people in the world because of this, but the pseudo threat of radicalized people going all over the world, uh, now that necessitates the need, oh shit, there's just radicals everywhere. We need digital IDs. Right. We need greater top-down control. I think people lose sight of that with these things that play on our emotions yeah. um, to, to, to have us zoom in and forget what the whole point of what's gone on the last three years is. This is just a continuation of it. And it's even more difficult this time because 
it's not playing on our health preferences and you know somewhat of our political preferences. It's taking that and doubling down on the political preferences and also playing on our religious beliefs and our cultural identities. And this is it requires people to to understand that any religion or political preference that they subscribe to is not fundamentally who they are. And if you do subscribe to that without realizing that it's just a monopoly piece on a monopoly board that is effective to you sometimes, like I would consider myself an anti-vaxxer, but I wouldn't consider myself an anti-vaxxer to the point that I'm then cheering for people who've received the vaccine to die, right? And that's what happens when you self-identify with a label rather than understanding that the label is just intended uh, to be used to share ideas and understand who's uh, in alignment with you to some degree. And when it comes to religion, that's what the controllers are playing on right now in a very, very deep way. And it requires us to understand that we are all freaking human beings, man. We're all human beings. And I think, again, to reiterate, the only solution to this is taking radical self-ownership and self-responsibility and stepping out of a victim mentality and saying that I will not perpetuate more of the same. Yeah, That's it. That's the only thing that can be done. Yeah, you know, you said a lot of great things, Alec, and uh, I'm a little tense about all this because I, I'm watching kind of the geopolitical moves that are happening kind of in the background, the background noise from all the mainstream media attention. And there's some serious uh, implications, some serious moves that are happening. I mean, Yemen just declared war on Israel. I, I think that was uh, probably more of a symbolic statement than anything else. Uh, but Iran has been attacking U.S. forces in Iraq. Um the U.S. just bombed Syria again. I don't know if you guys happen to catch that. There's been a, a lot of kind of like a lot of stuff going on. And of course, the largest collection of U.S. warships in a decade has amassed in the eastern Mediterranean. So uh, it, it's not looking good. Uh, I don't feel like there's enough people really uh, sensing the, the urgency here about potential of World War Three. Yep. And, and hopefully it doesn't escalate to that. All right, free thinkers, this episode is nearing the end. We wanted to take this time to remind you, if you found value in this conversation, please consider hitting that like button and subscribing to the Free Thought Project podcast on your preferred platform of choice. It's an easy, no-cost way to support us and ensure you never miss an episode. Also, the Free Thought Project operates primarily on the generosity of our listeners. If you believe in our mission and support our cause, please consider donating or subscribing by going to the membership tab at the top of our website. Your contributions ensure we are able to continue our important work having these important conversations and your donations help us do just that. Lastly, if you're part of an organization or own a business that aligns with our mission and values, we are currently inviting sponsorships for our podcast. This is a fantastic opportunity to promote your product or make your brand visible to our engaged audience while supporting meaningful discourse. Thank you for your support, Freethinkers, and as always, thank you for listening. But Alec, I must say, man, I know that you you kind of emerged out of the, the medical freedom community, but you, know, you really are knowledgeable about this topic, and I very much appreciate your uh, intellectual, logical, and moral consistency when it comes to uh, this conflict, uh, I guess a war now, uh, in, in Israel and Palestine, so... Uh, very much appreciate you joining us today. I, I know that you're obviously on Twitter and Instagram, which you're very active. 
Uh, you have a website and, and podcast entitled The Way Forward. Uh, you just had a great interview with Larkin Rose at the end of September. So definitely check that out, guys. Uh, what else do you want to plug and how can people follow your work? Yeah, thanks a ton, man. I really appreciate the acknowledgement on uh, my my adherence to morals irrespective of where uh, any group that I identify with to some degree goes. And <laughs> like I, the easier route here would be to take the Ben Shapiro route which much of the quote freedom community is doing and just say, I support Israel and Israel's right to self-defense. And that's just not what I'm going to do because it's wrong. And I don't care if I lose a bunch of followers over it and I have people call me an anti-Semite, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's, you know, I don't, I don't care. Um, I'm going to be authentic and be me. And the other thing is people will say, you need to shut up and just speak on medical freedom and health freedom because that's what, you know, dude, I was in the army. (laughs) I went to West Point. I know this stuff pretty well. I don't claim to know everything about it, but I'm also knowledgeable on this stuff. So thank you for that acknowledgement. But you can follow me at the the Way Forward. So we have a, a membership that is um, aligning people who are health and freedom oriented that is based on a value for value model, meaning you pay whatever you want to be a part of it. That gives you the opportunity to find freedom oriented people near you just by typing in your zip code. Also businesses near you that are aligned with discounts for members and a marketplace. And you can find that at the wayforward.com and forward is spelled F W R D. And we're continuing to grow and grow and grow. And here in 2024, our membership will be a fully private common law based membership. Um, and we'll have chapters around the country, basically just set on uniting freedom and health oriented people. And I truly freedom oriented people who are freedom, freedom oriented outside of the uh, two party political lines. Sure, brother. Yeah. Well, you know, authenticity is certainly in short supply, but it is authenticity repeated that builds trust. And I know you've certainly gained the trust of large, large amounts of people. Uh, if you have a second too, uh, I know for months you're promoting the huge project entitled The End of COVID. I know it, it featured a bunch of scholars, intellectuals, doctors, activists. Uh, you know, a funny story, I couldn't remember when it launched, so I actually Googled it today. And to my surprise, freaking Yahoo Finance actually aggregated an article uh, written by NewsDirect for the event, um, which I didn't wasn't expecting that. But uh, what can you tell us about the end of COVID project and uh, how was it received when it debuted in July? Yeah. So I want to comment on the Yahoo thing first. So we hired a PR agency to help us get the word out because we reached out to a lot of alternative sources. Um, I won't, I won't name names, but uh, like big, big, big alternative ones, kind of like zero hedge and stuff like this. And they just weren't willing to write an article about it because the, the and so Yahoo Finance picked it up, which is it was like a very quiet thing that no one even noticed, um, unfortunately. But it is what it is, and it's cool because 120,000 people have tuned into it now. Wow! And it's a project that covers every single detail, and I can say that confidently, every single detail of what happened over the last three and a half years and beyond, going into HIV/AIDS, going into uh, H1N1, going into several so-called viral illnesses, the Spanish flu, um, covering all the details you need to know to ensure that you are properly informed anytime the next so-called pandemic occurs. Because as we show during the end of COVID, even much of the freedom movement is still buying into a lot of fear-based conditioning. And if we want to ensure that that does not happen again, we need to dispel that fear-based conditioning. Um, so the the last 
three modules of the end of COVID. There's 11 modules total over 90 uh, interviews, roundtable discussions, presentations. The majority of them are presentations discussing every topic related to the last three and a half years. And the last three modules are all based on solutions um, after we've dispelled a lot of these fear-based beliefs. But that's the point of it. And you can find that at theendofcovid.com. And the feedback we've received on it has been in incredibly positive that, you know, we, we, again, we covered every detail. And for a lot of people, we filled in some holes on, on some lingering questions they had of what, what was COVID, what wasn't COVID, what uh, did the virus exist? Did it not exist? Um, what are virologists claiming to see under the microscope? How do you explain two or more people getting sick in the same space? We cover everything, everything. So you can find that at the end of COVID.com. Perfect, man. And wow, you said 120,000 people have. Yeah. Wow. Wow, man. Congrats. Yeah. That's huge. That's that's thanks, dude. Yeah, it accomplished. was it was a major project. Definitely. I spent uh, myself, Mike Winter from Alpha Vedic and a team of 33 people. Um, yeah, I know 33 people would be like, oh, 33. <laughs> no, but the 33 people spent them. a shit ton of time on this over the last uh, three, uh, nine months. And, you know, it, it it ended up being a majorly successful project. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy with yeah, it. Yeah, you should be, man. It's a wonderful resource to have your name attached to and to be able to provide to uh, the public. So yeah, definitely be proud of that. But brother Alec, dude, your countless tweets have been echoed by thousands across the internet. And this only serves as evidence as your voice being a genuine thought leader in this movement. And it's clear you're not a, a singular issue activists. You know, you've demonstrated that uh, regardless of political affiliation and potential revenue or profit, you, you stand for truth and you, you stand for liberty and peace, man. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for your time today, brother. Thank you so much for having me, Matt and Jason. You guys are freaking awesome. And I always enjoy talking with you. Oh, yeah, man. All right. Until next time. <laughs>